Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read uh, for this, from this morning from verses 1 through to verse 13. Let's hear, hear God's word. I think it's on page 977 in the church Bibles. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. By the way, he's, uh, there's a long section here before he returns to it again. If you look at verse 14, he then goes, for this reason. So this is, you know, this is an apostolic afterthought. <laughs> Um, it reminds him of some important thing he needs to teach. So, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, uh, probably referring back to what he's been teaching on, on this already in the passage. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. It's one thing we're going to think about uh, together. We've been singing about it. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Remember that's the ongoing theme of the book uh, that we're encouraged by God's power in the heavenly places the unseen spiritual realm verse 11 this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is uh, your glory I want to introduce uh, this passage this way. There was uh, a particular man I have in my mind who uh, for around 1,500 or so times, it is said, he tried to be be cast in a movie, to be accepted in a movie. And he was rejected at least 1,500 times. And uh, he... uh, Obviously, financially, then, he wasn't doing that well. And so he, um, his finances got so bad at some point that uh, he couldn't keep the lights on, the electricity. Uh, he couldn't keep on. And so then he had a dog, and in order to turn the lights back on, he sold his dog for $35, and he could turn the lights back on. He actually uh, was homeless for a while, uh, this particular individual, um, in the New Jersey Port Authority. He found a place to, to bed down for the night there for a couple of months. He wrote another script that was accepted, and he insisted that he would star in that script And the movie was so successful that it spawned a whole bunch of other movies 
um, which are, and the franchise has continued. Uh, now he's like the older boxer, and there are younger boxers. Of course, I'm talking about Rocky. Sylvester Stallone, one of the greatest movie celebrities of our era. I guess it's not surprising, given the bat story of his life, how a lot of his stories tend to be about someone who could have given up, but did not. Uh, could have lost heart, as the Apostle Paul is urging them not to here, to not lose heart, but did not. And... At one point in one of the movies, he, uh, Rocky, talking to a younger boxer, says, what counts is not how hard you can hit. What counts is how hard you can get hit and then get back up again. It's easy to give up. You don't anymore have to exert energy. You just give up. What's hard is keeping going. What's hard is getting hit hard and then getting back up again. That's hard. Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians to encourage them. We're at one of the key moments of the letter where he's saying to them, do not lose heart. And the reason, of course, why... They were being tempted to lose heart is, as he says here, uh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was in jail. He was a prisoner for proclaiming the gospel. And therefore, the Ephesians who believed that gospel and been planted through his ministry in the hall of Tyrannus, this network of churches through the province of Asia, must have been feeling if the Apostle Paul is thrown in jail, who's next? If the leader is thrown in jail, well, they're after us next. And so he tells them, don't lose heart. But he doesn't just tell them not to lose heart. He gives them reasons. And I think at least you can pick out three basic reasons that he has in this passage. Uh, first, don't lose heart first because you have a home. Second, because you know the secret to life. And third, because you get glory. So first, don't lose heart first because you have a home. Now, the emphasis on home is a little hidden in our translations, and it's not a fault of our translations. It's the trickiness of translating a particular key word in, uh, in the letter. But you won't really see the emphasis on home here unless I delve a little into the, uh, into the original. So in verse 2 of chapter 3, the word that is translated stewardship is the Greek word oikonomia, uh, which is related to a home, a house, the rules of the house, household management. If you look it up in a dictionary, that's often what it says. 
And so hence it's sometimes translated stewardship, emphasizing management. But the, 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 the basic idea in the word is a home that needs to be looked after right and stewarded. The house. Uh, the same word, uh, it's, it's a different case, but it's the same word in verse 9, is translated plan. So at the beginning and towards the end of the passage, he's talking about the oikonomia, the household plan. The rules of God's house, God's home. And this word oikonomia, uh, the root of it, uh, Paul uses uh, right beforehand in chapter 2 in different ways. And it's translated in, in, in the root of that word is then translated in different ways. So verse 19, um, the household of God. Well, that's a, the root of that word is in, in, in that in the original, or structure, or uh, being built, or dwelling place. It's all related to this idea of the house, the home of God. In fact, it's been a theme of the Apostle Paul's right from the beginning of the letter. If you go to chapter 1 and verse 10, you'll see there he talks about that um, God has set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, that plan is oikonomia. Uh, the, the plan he has for the house. So I think, basically, the Apostle Paul is saying something like this. You Ephesians, uh, you are being excluded from many houses. You've left the membership of the house of the goddess of Artemis. And the house of Rome, the citizenship of the Roman Empire, is one that is at least a difficult place for you to exist in because you have to worship Caesar as Lord and yet Jesus is Lord. You're increasingly feel, feeling this pressure. I know that because I'm in jail for preaching Jesus is Lord. But I want to encourage you not to lose heart because you have a home. I want you to think of God's plan for his people a bit like a master of a house. God has a home for his people. He's been planning it from the beginning of time. And that home includes all nations, not just the Jewish people, but all the different nations. Every color, every class. It's a home for all his people. All peoples in Christ are at home in God's house. And he's had that plan, and it is now being fulfilled in the church. So yes, Ephesians, you may look around and think the household of Rome is no longer our home. 
And the household of Artemis is no longer our home. And indeed, you may even find that there are homes that you're being excluded from because you've put your faith in Jesus and they no longer want you in their home. But don't lose heart. You have a home. The church. It's for all nations, which means it's also for you. In 2006, a fisherman from the Philippines caught a pearl, and he was particularly enamored by this pearl, so he, he brought it back home and he put it under his bed as a kind of good luck charm or something like that. Ten years later, he kept it in his home of ten years. Ten years later, a, an expert in pearls was traveling through the region and found out that he had a pearl kept in his house under his bed and asked to have a look at it, and the fisherman brought it out. It turned out that this pearl was probably the largest pearl that had ever been discovered, naturally, naturally grown pearl. It weighs 52 pounds. It's two foot long, one foot wide. It's worth a lot. The previous largest ever discovered uh, is one-sixth the size. And it's worth about $35 million. Imagine, well, six times as much, I suppose. And he kept it at home, locked away, under his bed, not appreciating its value. I think many of us have a similar sort of underappreciation of the church. The pearl of great price is the gospel. And it brings us together in the home of all ages, all nations. You belong, you're here by grace. Your home. Don't lose heart. But then, second, says the Apostle Paul, I've got another reason why you shouldn't lose heart, and I'm going to emphasize it over and over again in this section so you get it, and it's to do with this mystery. So, not only uh, don't lose heart because you have a home, but also don't lose heart because you know the secret to life, the mystery. And he defines what he means by mystery in verse 6. He says this This mystery is. That the Gentiles, that is uh, the non-Jewish nations, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He there is using a set of with words fellow heirs, members of the same body, and joint partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And there are three of them, and almost certainly it's deliberate. The Apostle Paul, when you read his writings, you always, he was a genius, and his writings are always deep and complicated, and always many layers to them. And almost certainly, I think, he's using these three with words Hoping that his readers, as they study what he's written, he says, you know, I've written about this, and I want to remind you again about it. 
will get the connections. The connections are these. In in chapter 2, he has said that we are alive with Christ and we're raised with Christ and we're seated with Christ. Three with words. And then uh, a little bit later in chapter 2, he says, and that means that we are with each other. He repeats it in different ways three times over. As his people, we, we relate with each other, three times repeated. For we've been raised with Christ, three times repeated. And now when it comes to the mystery of the gospel, the secret that you know, he uses another set of three with words. With the body, with the partakers, uh, with... Um, uh, with uh, uh, with, the, with heirs, fellow heirs. What I think the Apostle Paul is saying is something like this. I want you to realize, Ephesians, the gospel is much bigger than perhaps you're tempted to think. Yes, the gospel is about your personal relationship with Jesus. You've been raised with him and you have a new relationship with God. That is what the gospel is about, but it's bigger than that. The gospel also then impacts your relationships with other people in the church, the community of God's people. But he says it's even bigger than that. Because of the gospel, three times over repeated, another set of three with words, you, you Christians, have the secret, the mystery. The word mystery in Paul's writings is is a sort of technical word for that which was hidden but has now been revealed. The secret that has now been revealed. The hidden mystery of God. The hidden mystery of God being how God is going to save people. How is it possible that God who is holy and loving... He's going to reconcile those two things, fulfill his promise given to Abraham and Moses and all the rest in the Old Testament, to bring all nations together under one banner in his grace and love. How is that possible? And it's revealed in the New Testament at the cross where Jesus died for our sins. And he's saying, you, you Christians, you have the secret to life. And every time you relate as Christians in the home, the church you are preaching that mystery people often talk about the, the significance of community in church if you you if you read strategic documents about how to do church these days they'll, they'll go on and on and on, and on about how, how everyone's looking for community well i'm sure that's true we live in an isolated age always on our screens and everyone's looking for community for sure but the, but the point of the community of the church, it's not just that it's a community. The point of the community of the church is it's revealing the mystery of the gospel. That this is how God saves people. Uh, the Paul will make a similar point a little bit later when he comes to talk about husbands and wives and how they are how a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. This is a mystery, he says, a profound mystery, but I'm talking about how, how Christ uh, loves the church. In other words, the way a husband loves his wife is revealing in practice, in daily life, 
how much God loves his people through the death of Jesus on the cross. And similarly, the way we love each other, different ages, different races, different classes, different abilities, speaks to a watching world that you have the secret of life, which is how God is going to save sinners. It's a bit like this. There's a story of a man who was stuck in a hole. He fell down the hole. The sides of the hole were very slippery. He couldn't get back up again, you know, that sort of thing. So he's there stuck in a hole, and he's obviously calling out for help. And then along come various different people. It's one of these sort of stories. It illustrates the point I'm making, I think. So the first person who comes along is a psychiatrist. And I've got nothing against psychiatrists. I think they're wonderful people. I've got many friends who are psychiatrists. So don't, if you're a psychiatrist here this morning, don't feel that I'm about to get at you. I'm not. There's a priest in a moment. So, you know, all things are equal. So um, anyway, the first person who comes along is a psychiatrist. And he sees the guy stuck in a hole. And he looks down. And So what does the psychiatrist do? I mean, it's a little silly. But he, he goes into his medicine bag. And he gets out some Prozac or something, and he gives him some pills. You know, you'll feel better. Well, I guess he does feel better, but he's still stuck in the hole. A bit later, as the man keeps on calling out for help, a priest comes along. Here's the priest. So the priest looks down the hole and sees the man stuck there and thinks to himself, well, I, uh, I believe in prayer. And, of course, prayer is very powerful, and we believe in prayer as a church, and and it's not like prayer is the last thing we should do. You know, if you can't do anything else, pray. No, prayer is doing something. But for the purpose of the story, the priest decides to pray. And he prays specifically that the man stuck in the hole would, would realize all that God has given him that is good, though he is stuck in the hole. Oh, Lord, may his eyes be open to the fact that he's still alive, though he's stuck in a hole. And that sort of thing, right? So the priest goes on his way, packing his self on the back, having prayed a good prayer and all that. Finally, along comes a friend. And the friend jumps in the hole. And the guy who was stuck in the hole looks at his friend and says, well, what are you doing here? What's the point of this? Now we're both stuck in the hole. And the friend says, ah, but I've been in this hole before, and I know the way out. And he leads him out. He has the secret, the secret to life. If you're a Christian, you by definition know the way out. You've been saved. The mystery has been revealed to you. And the way we relate to each other, jumping in the hole of other Christians around us, loving each other, rescuing those who are not yet Christians, speaking the gospel, all that, says the Apostle Paul, shows that you know the secret to life. Oh, don't lose heart. People since time immemorial have been searching into these things. They've been trying to figure out how it is that God in his love and yet his justice 
will rescue people. And you know it isn't the Roman Empire and the Roman gods. It isn't goddess Artemis. It isn't relativistic pluralism today, all these other religions. It's Jesus, and you know it. And the way you relate together speaks that message. So don't lose heart. You have a home. You know the secret to life. And then most of all, says the Apostle Paul, and I think it's the culmination of what he's saying here before he returns to his, where he was going to go. We'll look at chapter 3 next week. The climax of this bit, verse 22, he says, in you get glory, the most of all, this is the third reason. You have a home, you know the secret to life, you get glory, third That's why not to lose heart. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. Oh, wrong verse. Verse 13, sorry, chapter 3. That was last week. Chapter 3, verse 13, here we are. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And notice what he does not say. He does not say, which means one day you'll get to go to glory. What Paul is talking about is that the suffering that he's experiencing right now for Jesus in jail, for preaching the gospel, is giving them glory. Obviously, there's eternal glory to come. It's only a foretaste. It's not the whole thing yet. But they are experiencing it, though he's suffering. And not only though he's suffering, because he's suffering. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's for you, which is your glory. It's amazing. It's an amazing thought. The Apostle Paul, I think, is saying something like this. Ephesian Christians, when you see that I'm in jail, and I've been busy church planting and preaching all the rest, and now I've been thrown in jail, and I'm in Rome. In fact, I've been there quite a long time. Almost certainly he'd been there about five years by now. And you're beginning to think, well, you know, this is a bit of a downer. And could it be me next? I want you to realize that there's a pattern. And I want you to pick up that pattern. It's a substitutionary pattern. An exchange pattern, which is for you. Giving his life for you. And I want you to realize that that pattern works in the Christian life. That our sufferings for Jesus are sufferings that reveal the glory in the present in a way that they will only be fully fulfilled in the future. Something like that. And therefore, Ephesians, don't lose heart. 
Don't think to yourself when you're under pressure in Ephesus about that Artemis god down the road with the huge temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. Don't think for yourself, oh, forget that for a bunch of bananas. I'm off to somewhere nicer. Actually, the opposition that you're facing, that's the time you're going to see God's glorious power at work. It is the pattern. One of the great ancient Christian leaders called Tertullian put it like this. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Of course, it isn't just blood or just jail. It's when we're under pressure for our Christian faith at school, at work, in the culture. And we're feeling opposed. The Apostle Paul is saying, those opposition, that, right there is your glory. Opposition days, they are glory days. That's the pattern. No cross, no crown. Crucifixion, resurrection. The blood of the, church, the, the, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I'm in jail, which is suffering, which is for your glory. That's the pattern. And if it is true, therefore, that the culture is becoming less Christian, which I suppose it is true, what that means is, if we're faithful, then in the future they'll look back on these days and they'll say, those were their glory days. It's what the Chinese church uh, says with the opposition that it faced in the mid-20th century when the Chinese missionaries were kicked out and everyone wondered what would happen to the church. What actually happened to the church is it massively increased. But of course it requires us not losing heart. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do indeed pray that would be the case, that we wouldn't lose heart. Help us to be faithful at school and at work and at home. We thank you, Lord, that we have a spiritual home here in the church. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the secret to life how you save all nations through faith in Jesus. Help us, Lord, in the way we relate to each other to reflect that mystery, um, preach that mystery, make that mystery known. And help us, Lord, to not lose heart so that the glory of the power of your gospel might be energetically, effectively, gloriously at work in our midst today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.